Well, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to the book of John. We're going to be there in just a little bit. John chapter 20. Uh, I also want you to know that in your bulletin there is a little uh, cheat sheet, okay? So this isn't everything that we're going to be uh, going over today, okay? But uh, what I've wanted you to have is we're getting into the content. We're learning more about what it means for us to share our ways in natural, orga- uh, share our faith in natural and organic ways. And, and I want these things to be little cheat sheets for you, okay? So you don't have to write down all these things. But these handouts can be like tools in a toolbox that you have, an evangelism toolbox. Because, you see, when we're sharing our faith, it's not about having specific words or formula, okay? It's about letting our faith shine out. And there's different questions we can ask. There's different stories we can tell. We can share the gospel in so many different ways. Remember last week? It's about relationships. It's about pointing people to Jesus, it's about making sure they understand like the gospel message about God and us, broken humanity, and how Jesus is the Savior, and that they have a decision to make. Okay, But there's, there's not just one way to do it. So I want you to have tools in your toolbox as you interact with other people that, that you can learn to share your faith in natural and organic ways. And why is that so important? Because remember, in the book of Acts, when the disciples are so excited that Jesus had conquered death, and they're like, it's time. You're going to set up your kingdom, right? I mean, how many of us are waiting for that kingdom to come? Yeah, this is going to be awesome, right? The thousand-year reign, okay, after that, the eternal kingdom where heaven, okay, it says the new Jerusalem comes down out of heaven and the dwelling place of God will again be with humanity and there's no sickness or death or tears or crying. We're looking forward to that kingdom, just like the apostles were, right? Is it time? And he says, it's not for you to know the times and the dates. It's taken care of. It's coming. You can trust God wait what do we do while we're waiting okay didn't ask that he just answered it for them but you will be my witnesses he says the holy spirit's going to come on you you're going to get power from on high and you'll be my witnesses here in jerusalem judea samaria with the people that you really don't like and all to the ends of the earth that's what we're still supposed to be doing until the kingdom comes to live the missionary life here while we send and support missionaries to go to the places that we're not at that's what we're to be about So today what we're talking about is how to help people overcome barriers to belief. That there are are different things that sometimes people get there where they understand the gospel, but these are things that can get in the way. So how can we help people overcome some of these barriers to belief? But what we're going to do first is we're going to look at uh, the gospel of John to kind of kick off this sermon. John chapter 20, verse 19. On the evening of the first day of the week, when the disciples were together... With the doors locked for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Now, I want you to imagine, put yourself there, okay? This is uh, three days after Jesus has been crucified. You have spent the last three years of your life following this Jesus of Nazareth, the Messiah, the long-anointed one, the awaited one, the one who's going to set up the kingdom, and then he is arrested and brutally tortured and killed and buried. And you're wondering if you're next. And you're wondering if the last three years of your life have been wasted. And you're hiding in this room. And Jesus shows up. Now, I think that Makes us understand why he says, peace be with you. Because they're in this like tense, frightened state. And then this, not a ghost, but I mean, if you're them, what are you thinking? 
Jesus shows up and you're like, what? And he's, peace be with you. And he shows them the scars in his hands and his feet and his side. And the other gospels, we get that, that they're kind of like, uh, and he's like, can I have some food? And they give him food. And he's like, look, like the ghost doesn't have flesh and blood like I have. Like I ate the food and stayed in my stomach. Okay. They're freaked out. And then they're overjoyed because they, they get it. He conquered death. He rose from the dead. But what's his next slide say? Again, Jesus, oh, again, Jesus said to them, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone, his sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. And then the next part is now Thomas, called Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So all 11 of the disciples are there, okay? Well, not 11, 10 of them, right? Because Judas is gone. Thomas isn't there. So the disciples come to him and say, we have seen the Lord. Now, now I know a lot of you know the rest of this story, okay? Try to forget that. What do you think would be Thomas's response? Ten of his closest friends all say they saw Jesus, okay? Now, you don't have to raise your hand, but how many of you would be like, that's awesome! That's so cool. Tell me about it. I mean, how many of you maybe would be that? You don't have to raise your hand, but you can. Like, some of us would. We'd be like, yeah, I trust you. I believe it. Thomas isn't like that. Now, Thomas gets a bad rap from this story. We call him, what, what's his nickname? Anybody know what's his nickname? Doubting Thomas. Now, before we heap all this on Thomas, okay, yes, he doubted, okay? He's also the one that when Jesus goes to raise Lazarus from the dead, and the disciples are like, why? You're going back to Jerusalem. The Jews are going to kill you. Like, they tried to kill you last time you were there. And Jesus is like, well, Lazarus is sleeping. They're like, well, good. He's, if he's sleeping, he'll get better. He's like, no, that, that means he's, he's, he died, okay? And we're going to go there to wake him up. And Thomas is the one that says, well, we might as well go with him, right? He's the one that said, okay, we're going to go with him to Jerusalem, even though last time when they were there, he was trying to be killed. So doubting Thomas, yes, he doubted. He was also the one that said, okay, we'll go. We'll go with you. And this is what Thomas said. He said, unless I see the nail marks in his hand and put my fingers where the nails were and I put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was one of those people that said, I need to know for sure. I need to experience that. When I do that, I will believe. And you know what? We'll interact with people that they want more evidence It's not that they don't want to believe, but they're searching and they're seeking. They really want to know what is true. And if they're not quite there yet, they need some more things to help them take that step of faith. Because we do accept the gospel by faith. But there are opportunities that we can help people who are kind of like a Thomas. With the doubting or the questioning or being skeptical and not to push everything away, but to really know the truth. So let's see what Jesus does with this. So Thomas says, I got to see it to believe it. A week later, so the next Sunday. I wonder what that week was like for Thomas, right? Or for the disciples. Like, disciples are all happy. And Thomas is, like, probably brooding and moody, maybe. I don't know. That's what I would be if I was really struggling with, like, how come I didn't get to see? And is it really true? A week later, they're in the house, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. So Jesus shows up. Thomas is there now. Then he, then he looks over. Okay, he doesn't say look over, but I assume if he's talking to Thomas, he's going to look over at him. Put yourself there. Forget that you know what's coming next, okay? What do you think is going on in everybody's heads? Right? Look, Jesus is here, and now Thomas is here. He's gonna, Jesus is going to put him in his place. You didn't believe, right? 
Maybe, maybe that's what disciples are thinking. Like, oh, what's Jesus going to say to Thomas? Maybe, I don't know. But what is Jesus, what is his response to Thomas, to, to the doubts that Thomas had? This is what he says. Touch me. Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand into my side. Stop doubting and believe. You see, Jesus didn't look at Thomas and the skepticism and the doubt that he had, the questioning he had, and said, say, I can't believe I chose you to be one of the 12. Get out of here. Okay? You and Judas just over there, I'll go with these 10. He didn't say that. He met him in the midst of that. Thomas, touch, feel. Stop doubting and believe. And here is Thomas's response. And again, he gets a bad rap for being the doubting Thomas, which he did doubt. But he is also the first one to declare this in the scriptures. My Lord and my God. So Thomas needed more proof. He needed more evidence. And when he got that, he said, You're, you are my Lord and you are my God. And Jesus said to them, Bless, because you've seen me, you believed. Good, okay? You saw me, you believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Jesus did many other miraculous signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. That's what John is saying. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Look, God's word is given to us so that we may know God, that we may know Jesus, the Son of God, God in the flesh, that we may, by what we read in here, come to believe and trust that Jesus is the Savior that we need. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus, I want you to know this. He says, look, when you believe in me, by believing in me, you will have life in my name. Eternal life forever and real, true life now. And that's the invitation for everybody that is here. Whether you've spent decades in church, and, but you've never made a real decision for Jesus. She's got to do that every week now. Whether, whether you've been in church your whole life, but you've never really made a decision for Jesus. Like, it's there saying, if you trust me, I will send you my spirit. I will give you the inheritance in heaven forever, and I will give you real, true life now. That's the invitation that's held out to you today. So but why did we kind of start here in John with Thomas? Because here's the thing. Jesus met Thomas where he was at. He didn't throw him away because of his doubts and his questionings. He met him there. And you know what, there's going to be opportunities where we can, we can come alongside people that are seeking and searching, they're scrutinizing and inspecting, and we can walk with them through their doubts. We can empathize along the way with what they're thinking and feeling. We can offer answers when it seems appropriate. Because you see, when somebody is doubting, the doubts of somebody who's seeking, like that can actually indicate genuine interest in truth. Because they want to know if this is really true. And so today we're going to talk about what are some of the barriers to belief. When somebody is here, they've, you've been able to share with them and, and share the gospel with them and share life with them. What are some of the things that maybe are one of those last couple things that stand in the way? Barriers to belief. Now, there can be more than this, but we're just taking one Sunday. So the three main things can be misperceptions, okay? Those are things that someone or we, we think are true, but they're not. Like we think it's true about God, but it's not. We think it's true about sin, but it's not. We think it's true about humanity, but it's not. Okay, we'll talk a little bit about that in a little bit. There can be intellectual roadblocks where things that we read and hear, somebody reads and hear, and what they see and experience, what they've been taught, they don't line up. 
And then there can be moral misgivings. Like if Christianity is really true, and if it's about accepting Christ as my Savior and letting him be Lord of my life, there's things that I don't want to give up. So I'm going to find every excuse in the book to not believe. Because I don't want to have to reckon with a God. And I don't want anybody else to be God in my life but me, really. So those are some things that, that can keep people back. So let's look a little bit at misperceptions, okay? Now, maybe you've heard uh, uh, something like this. I, I heard a pastor say this. Sometimes people in the world, they, they think something like this, okay? If you commit your life to following Jesus Christ, you can take your freedom, your individuality, your sense of adventure, and any hopes you have for fulfillment in this life, and kiss them all goodbye. After, up, after all, you're signing up to join a bunch of lobotomized, look-alike, act-alike losers who have nothing better to do with their lives. But that's not you. You've got brains, talent, potential. You have places to go, things to do, goals to achieve. So whatever you do, stop this foolish talk about falling into line and becoming religious. This is the only life you ever have. Now, maybe not that exactly, but sometimes people have a misperception of what it means to be a Christian, right? Because Jesus did say, you come and die, you pick up your cross and follow me. That if you want to gain your life, you're really going to lose it. But if you lose your life for me, then you'll find it. So there is a truth to that, that it's not, we're laying down our life when we're becoming a Christian. But Jesus also said, I've come that you may have life and have it most abundantly. So there's misperceptions about what does it mean to become a Christian. And, and maybe some of these come from poor examples, okay? Like they've seen people who are very religious and they walk a certain way and they act a certain way and they live life with this like somber look on their face, okay? And people think that that's, that's what Christianity is. You can't, there's no fun, there's no enjoyment, everything is blah, black, gray, blah, okay? Because sometimes they see poor examples of that. Sometimes there can be bad teaching. People have misperception because there's bad teaching. Okay, anybody ever heard the term God helps those who help themselves? Okay, it is not in the Bible. Okay, it's not. How about God won't give you more than you can handle? Anybody hear that? Okay, not in the Bible. Okay, the Bible says God won't let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And when you are tempted, he'll provide a way out. But we face things in our lives that are way more than we can handle on our own. So some people have a misperception because they're like, God's, God said he won't give me more than I, I can handle, and life is so hard. He must think I'm so tough, but I'm not, and they don't like God because of that. That's a misperception. God says he'll give us a grace to get through it. His grace is sufficient in our weakness when things are more than what we can handle. Other bad teaching, you're going to be healthy, wealthy all the time. Okay, the prosperity gospel. And people think, don't understand, why does this bad thing happen? Did I not have enough faith? Did I, why, why, I don't bad teaching sometimes there can be natural fears okay you're about to make a the biggest decision of your life to become a christian or not and you get to that line and there's a lot of people like okay do i really want to do this okay sometimes we do that like when we're ready to choose like what school we're going to enroll at for college okay like you you have all these choices you narrowed it down and you're about to like sign up for classes and you're like wait a minute i've got to really decide this Okay, or maybe you're getting ready to be mar- get married or to propose, and like you know you want to, and but you're like, but I, I this is a big deal. I, so you see, there, there's that natural fear in other areas of people's life, and it makes sense that that natural fear could be in that like this is a big life change. Am I really ready for it? Is it really true? And so those are some ways that that misperceptions can abound. So let's talk a little bit uh, about how we can help people um, walk through these. So uh, when it comes to 
when people see uh, poor examples uh, of other Christians or when they think that when they give their life to Jesus that they disappear, uh, this is all about helping them really understand what the Scriptures say. Help them get into the Word and understand what the Scriptures are saying. Because there is a truth, like I said, right? We, we lay down our life for Christ. But Jesus said that when you lose your life for me, that you'll gain it. And if you look at Christianity, when you become a Christian, it's not that you lose yourself in God, but I think that you find your true self in him. And that the things and the skills and the talents and abilities that you have become more alive by his spirit. For example, I love to play sports, okay? When I became a Christian, it didn't mean no longer playing sports. What it meant is that when I have an opportunity to play sports, it's worship. Now, I don't always have the best attitude throughout my whole life. When I was a kid, I was a really sore loser. God had to help me through that. Okay, but when I get to play, God made me. He created me. I'd love to do this. It's a way I can make connections with people. How does sports worship? It's not that I lost who I am. It's that I became more who God has made me to be. And sometimes people don't understand that. Sometimes people have the wrong view of God. They, they view him as like a helpless old man or a harsh ogre or disinterested deity or a cosmic killjoy. That He's just up in heaven waiting to smash them when they mess up. And that, you know what, that's, that's not true. That's not the heart of who God is. So helping people understand, well, where did you, where did, where did you come to think that way? Because that's, that's not how I see it as I read scripture. Is God just? Yes, he punishes what is wrong. He rewards what is right. Is he forgiving and gracious and kind and loving? Yeah. And let me tell you about that in Jesus. Jesus took your punishment. See how we can help correct some of people's misperceptions. Uh, A man, Jay Kessler, says this. Tell me about the God you don't believe in him. You don't believe in because maybe I don't believe in him either. You know, so many people in America, like they, they know Jesus. They know the name. Okay, if you go off into another country and you're a missionary, there's people who have never heard the name of Jesus, and they, they need to hear the gospel. Okay, people like uh, the Malayali in, in Papua New Guinea that are like getting the gospel message over the last couple of days and the next couple of days. Like, there's going to be new believers there in Papua New Guinea. That's so awesome. Here in the States, people often know a caricature of Jesus or of God. They have an image of who Jesus is and what he looks like and what he's like. That's not true. And so God wants to use you and me to help them overcome that barrier. They think God is one way and he's not. They think Jesus is one way, but he's not. And so us getting into God's word and us helping them get into God's word to show them what is really true, that's the important thing. When we talk about natural fears, how can we help people overcome that? Like, acknowledge, yeah, I understand. You're you're deciding whether to make this really big decision or not. Like, it's okay to step back and think about it. But, But I have a question for you. As you look in the scriptures, do you think God is more of a giver or a taker? And to challenge them in that way. Is God a more of a giver or a taker? And as I look in scriptures and as I look in my own life and the life of the saints, God is way more of a giver than a taker. You can pour them to, to verses like in, we're going to skip ahead here, verses like in Psalm, I'll get, I'll get this up here in a bit. Maybe I don't have this one on here. Verses in Psalm chapter 34, verse 8. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. You can share about the examples in your life how God has been more of a giver than a taker. And show them that they can trust him to take care of them. Not just that their eternity is secured in heaven, but that God will walk with them through the highs and lows of this life. God's going to take care of you. 
Okay, like we sang about that. God's going to take care of us. He's our lighthouse. He's going to lead us through. We can, we can share our own experiences there. Sometimes we need to get below the surface. Jesus had to do this. In John chapter 10, he's like, look, the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Have life and have the abundant life. Now, does that mean that everything's going to be puppy dogs and cupcakes and you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise all of your life? No, that's not true. But it means that when God's Spirit lives in you, you have His life within you to give you the strength to walk through this life. And when you stumble and fall, you have just like when Peter was drowning, right? Because he was walking on the water. And he started going, save me! And Jesus was there immediately to pick him up and to walk with him back in the boat. I have come that you may have life and have it to the full. Jesus also said this in in the book of Matthew, whoever finds his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That yes, there is a truth to coming to Christ means life is not about you anymore. And there's going to be things that you're probably going to have to give up. That God's going to want to chisel away in your life. But I would challenge you and challenge the friends that we have that you will become more who you are when you give yourself to Jesus. So you can help people overcome some of those misperceptions in those different ways. I mean, look at the Apostle Paul. You look at the trajectory of his life, like he's this Pharisee. He had all this knowledge and and all this intensity and passion and ambition. And when he became a Christian, his life drastically changed. But that intensity and that passion and that ambition and that knowledge of scriptures, God used that to bring the gospel to the whole known world, right? Paul became even more of who God made him than when he was Saul, right? And that can be the same for you and for me. The next ones to look through are uh, intellectual roadblocks, okay? So intellectual roadblocks can be questions or objections that cause doubts about the veracity of Christianity. Like things that are up here. And the Bible is quite clear that we want to be ready to give a reason for why we believe. We've read this verse a handful of times because we just got done studying through 1 Peter, right? 1 Peter chapter 3, 15 through 16. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always, what's that word? Always, which means all the time, right? Be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give a reason for the hope that you have. And those words are always be prepared to give a reasoned argument or a reasoned statement for the cause of the hope that you have. And do it with gentleness and respect. Keeping a clear conscience so that those who speak maliciously against your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed of their behavior. So when somebody comes up with something, an intellectual roadblocks, um, for us to just sweep them under the rug, that's not helpful. Somebody has something that they look in Scripture, they look at their life, they don't understand, it doesn't make sense to their head. And for us just to say, well, you're just going to have to accept it by faith, like that, that can be damaging. Do we accept the gospel by faith? Yes. Is there a reason and a rationale to back up that faith, to give more foundation to that faith. Yes, there is. I would say it takes more faith to be an atheist or to believe in some other religion than it does to believe in Christianity. It still takes faith. But for us just to sweep it under the rug, that's not, that's not a good idea. Now, it's okay. You don't have to have the answer at the tip of your tongue, at the top of your head. Somebody asks you a question, like, why did Jesus really have to die? Like, if God is all-powerful, couldn't he have just made some other way? And if you're not quite sure exactly what a good logical argument for that is, just that is a really good question. 
And I don't have the answer right now, but I'm going to look into it and I'll get back to you. And then do your homework. And you can get back and you can tell them, you can share them about God's character, that he is just and that every sin is punished because God is just, just like a just judge would not be just if he let the wicked go free. But God in his love made a way so that your sin could be put on Jesus and he could die in your place and you could be free. You can share that. So for us to be willing to do our homework, to actually look at how can we have an answer for some of these intellectual roadblocks and to not be afraid to say, great question, let me do some more study. Because I know there's a good answer, but I don't have it right now. You don't have to make it up. It's okay. Two of the ways we can kind of do this are help them realize the bankruptcy of their own faith. Okay, I have some resources at uh, uh, skifflakebible.org slash resources that will take you to a website called Dare to Share. And it has how you can share your faith with a Hindu, a Muslim, an agnostic, an, an atheist, a deist, a, a bunch of different ones. So I encourage you to, to, to look at that. But you can, as you explore their faith and take their faith to the nth degree, show them how, how that kind of leads to bankruptcy, that there's not a really good foundation there. And from there, you can also help them see the superiority of the biblical position. Here are the things that the Bible teaches, and you can help lay the foundation for some of those things when they have these uh, intellectual roadblocks. So what are some of those roadblocks that can be? Okay, One of them is people can be like, how do you know this book is really true? Okay, it was written a long time ago. Um, it was written in another language. Like, there's all these different versions. There's all these different manuscripts. How do you know what you have here is actually true? And not even true, but how, how do you know that it's actually, like, the same as what they actually wrote? That can be one thing. And remember, we talked about this last year, the earliest year in Sunday school. Okay, I just want to give you a quick um, review. The Bible that we have... Uh, especially in the New Testament, but also the Old Testament. The New Testament is the most, uh, has the most like, uh, evidence of being a reliable historical text than any other text. Okay, so let's look at this slide real quick. Oh, you can't see it. If you can't see it, look back there. I don't know, can you, is that too small? Did I make that too small? Can you read that? No, it's not too small, or no, you can't read it. Oh, it's fine. Okay, good. So, the works of Plato. Anybody ever heard of Plato? Not the Plato that you play with, but the Plato who's the philosopher, okay? With a T, Plato, okay? We have seven, it's back there if you can't see it, okay? We have seven manuscripts, seven copies of his manuscripts, okay? Uh, And the earliest copy that we have is from 900 AD. He wrote it in 427 BC, so almost 1,500 years, well, 1,200 years in between. He wrote it down, copies, copy, 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 copies. There's seven of them from 12,000 years later, okay? That's what we know of Plato and his writings. That's the evidence we have, okay? Let's look at a couple other ones, okay? So we have some other history um, written by these other people. See, look, there's 10 manuscripts, 20 or 7, okay? There's a time span of 1,000 years, 1,000 years, 750 years, okay? Now, here's the big one, ready? The Iliad. Anybody ever read the Iliad in high school? Okay, how many of you liked it? (laughs) One, okay. So, now this is good, right? 643, only 500 years between when they first wrote it down to the earliest copy we have. That's really good compared to everything else. Look here. New Testament, 5,686, a 30-year gap. So we have our earliest manuscript from the New Testament was written 30 years after the apostles wrote it down. 
and we have over 5,000 different manuscripts. I, I, I have a resource on our website uh, of a podcast where uh, Dr. Daniel Wallace, uh, I believe, is being interviewed. Okay? He's the Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. And in this hour-long podcast, he's talking about the reliability of scriptures. Um, and it, it's a really um, a, a quite an interesting listen to, and it's not like super scholarly. So he, he talks about some of the discrepancies that we find in the different texts. And that when you look at them, it's like because they spelled somebody's name a different way on like 99.9% of them. So I encourage you, look at that. So the historical, we use the word veracity of scripture, look at it. There's no comparison. What we have here is, is so close to what was there. And that the differences are like misspellings or grammatical errors and things like that. We can look at the whole history. It's better. It blows everything else out of the water. The New Testament is an extremely reliable document. All right, let's keep going. That was just a little, a little sermon within a sermon. Some can be the logic of faith. Like some people, they want to be a, a man or a woman of science or of reason or of rationale. And, and you can talk about the rationality of our faith has been affirmed and reaffirmed by many of the greatest minds throughout history. In fact, some of the strongest defenders of our faith are former skeptics and atheists who set out to disprove the Bible, like Lee Strobel or Josh McDowell, ardent atheists that they set out to disprove the Bible. And when they came to their conclusion, they're like, I, I, think, it's, I think it's right. I'm going to put my faith in Jesus. Some people, it's a problem of evil, which can be an intellectual thing, but also a heart thing. And so it's good to understand, are they coming at it from an intellectual place and they need an intellectual answer? Or are they coming at it from a heart place? Why do did, why did bad things happen to, to good people? And not just brush that under the rug. And they say, if God is all-powerful and all-loving, how can he let evil exist? And you know what? That's, I wish God didn't let evil exist, right? in my finite mind, right? But you know what? If I look at the scriptures and if what I understand of scriptures is true about God's sovereignty and his power and his justice and his loving kindness and his creating humans to have to be able to worship him or not, not making robots but humans, and when I see the fall of humanity and I read that in scripture, then what we see on the evening news kind of makes sense, Right? And you could also push back, well, if, if everything is God, you know, sometimes there's new age and Eastern thought, that if everything is God, then God would also be evil. Evil would be God. Does that make sense to you or not? Well, how about if, if there is no God? How do we know right from wrong? I mean, we get enough people to vote on something, we can create our own morality, right? Happened this past week, right? So th- does that make sense? If there is no God, how do we know right from wrong? It doesn't, there is no standard of right and wrong. Evil can be called good. We get enough people to vote. We get enough people to do this. We can change it, and we can call evil good, and we make it up. So you help them see the bankruptcy of their own, their own um, beliefs. Sometimes people, Christianity versus science, they can be inundated with all this scientific stuff and go, well, that makes the Bible look old-fashioned or not able. Uh, it doesn't stand up. Okay, the Bible's not written as a science textbook, but its teachings display divine insights and truth when it touches on scientific issues. Good science and good theology point to the same truths about reality. And you can help them, help them understand that and point them to some resources um, that, that, that you may have. 
Now, if we want to help them hurdle these roadblocks, we talked about some ways we can do that. Now, here up here are some really good names of people that ha- have studied. They're apologetics. Josh McDowell, William Lane Craig, Norman Geisler, Lee Strobel, C.S. Lewis. These are great people to be able to dig in. If you want to dig into some of the intellectual things, you can look at that and you can get some of the, the, the debates they've done and the research they've put in. Uh, now, anytime you're reading different people, okay, they're not all going to have the exact same beliefs, okay? Uh, William Lane Craig, for instance, uh, he doesn't believe the same way I would about the timeline of creation, okay? He has a great argument for the veracity of Jesus raising from the dead. And I link that article because it's a great one to show, look, Jesus really did raise from the dead. And so uh, when you're going through those things, do your homework. Talk with them about other people. Uh, Talk with them to other people. But these are ways that we can show people that there is a reason and a rationale behind the faith when they come at it from an intellectual roadblock. Finally, moral misgivings. Sometimes you may encounter somebody that as it's like they understand it and they get it, but they're starting to throw every excuse out in the book. And it can be a time to be say, hey, like, it seems like you're more about trying to disprove this and trying to see what's really true. What really is it that's keeping you back? And maybe they'll be honest enough to share that there is something in their life that they don't want to have to give up. And when you meet them there, that could be an opportunity to do a cost-benefit analysis. All right, for example, I, I like to party on the weekends and drink and have a lot of fun. Okay? Well, what's, what's the benefit of that? I get to hang out with my friends. It's fun. I like it. I enjoy it. Okay. What are some of the negative effects of it? Well, the hangovers are horrible. I, I guess like it could lead to liver disease in the future. And you can help them with some of these negative effects maybe because they're not thinking about it maybe. I don't know. And then you can, well, what about the benefits that can come from being a Christian that you would forfeit by not becoming a Christian? And help them just lay it out there and see. Now, is that going to change their mind and be like, oh, you're exactly right? Maybe, maybe not. But you're helping them get through these barriers that they're put up because we want to be like Jesus to Thomas. Not to be like, well, they must not want it. But how can we help them get over this barrier so they can come to faith? And when we get to this part of getting ready to, to break through, well, two quick things I want to say first. As we're going through this, it's not just them, right? Like we as Christians, sometimes we deal with these things too. We may have misperceptions in our life about who God is. And that may be things that God wants to help us with. There may be some intellectual roadblocks that we have that maybe we've just pushed to the side and put our faith, and, and, and maybe we can explore that more so we can find the reason behind. And, and you know what? All of us probably have things in our life that we struggle to let go of. I've got to say, now I want you to give that to me. So it's not just them out there. These are things that, that we need God's help too. And, and also one quick thing. When you're going through with people with like an intellectual roadblock, I, this is an important thing. Challenge them to be like a jury. Do your homework, look at the facts, give them resources, and be like, you've got to decide. You can't just put all this time in and be like, ah, interesting. Like, no, it's important enough. Make a decision. Do you think it's true or not? But when we get to the place where somebody is ready to kind of break through, there's a prayer and a promise that I think is really important to us, okay? In Mark chapter 9, Jesus is transfigured on top of the mountain, okay? So he becomes his shining, glorious self in front of three of his apostles. And and then when he comes down the mountain, there's this whole disturbance down there because the rest of his disciples are trying to cast out a demon in this boy, and a whole crowd is coming. And and Jesus is, sometimes he gets almost like, not like fed up, but he's like, man, I'm around all these people with such little faith. 
And the, boy sa- and the boy's dad says, I believe, help me overcome my unbelief. I believe, help me overcome my doubts. And what did Jesus do in that? Did he say, that's not good enough, sorry. He took the boy, rebuked the evil spirit, and he healed him. That mustard seed of faith. Because you see, Jesus says this, ask, it will be given to you. Seek, you'll find. Knock, the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. If you seek, you find. To him who knocks, the door will be opened. In the book of Jeremiah, if you seek me, you will find me. If you seek me with your whole heart. Look, if somebody is in that place where they're searching, I, you can say, look, if you put this as a front burner issue and you're going to seek it out and you're going to seek, God, if you are true, will you reveal yourself to me? God says he'll reveal himself to you. And we can help people overcome those things that want to hold them back. So now we're getting ready. Somebody is ready to cross the line of faith. What is that? What can that look like, okay? It's an opportunity for us to access their interests, their understanding, and their readiness. An opportunity when, when you've given them the gospel and they're, they're at this place where they're ready to respond, that we need a time where they've understood this. Now what, is, what are you going to do about it, okay? So you can ask them, like, have you ever come to a place that you're ready to give up doing and start trusting what Christ has done on your behalf? Are you ready to stop trying to get over the chasm of sin by your own efforts and cross over the bridge that is Christ Jesus? Can you get beyond simply studying aviation and climbing the airplane? Remember we talked about that last week? Can you get across just studying and knowing about Jesus and step into Jesus? Can you let go of the idea that going to church... Being a good person will make you right with God and ask him to give you the, his gift of forgiveness and guidance for everyday life. We can assess their interests. Are you ready for that? And if they're not, we can ask why. Well, what, what, what makes you want to push that away? We can assess their understanding. Like, does what I'm sharing make sense to you? And if it doesn't, maybe you can use another illustration or example. You can pray with them through their fears that are holding them back. You want to make sure that they understand what it means to believe. You can assess their readiness. Is there anything that's holding you back from accepting Christ right now? That would be a great question to ask. Is there anything that's holding you back right now? And if not, would you like to receive Jesus as your Savior? If it is, well, what is it? And let's talk about it. And then you can help them cross that line of faith, which comes by believing. Romans, that's, that's 10, not 8. Romans 10, verse 9. If you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You say, look, when you know that you're a sinner, you know that Jesus died for you, you believe in him, you trust in him, you will be saved. You use the example of trust like sitting in that chair, right? Getting on the boat. Laying down in a hammock, you trust it to hold your weight. When you do that, it, it's like this wordless thing. You, you believe in your heart. The Bible says you confess with your mouth. You declare your faith that you are saved. And you can help them understand some of the things as we look in Scripture that come with that belief, that declaring your faith, acknowledging that you're a sinner, asking for Jesus to save you, accepting him. It's not like all these, these words, but these are things that come with that belief. God, I want to turn away from my old life and walk in a new way. To pursue baptism. Like, you can't read the book of Acts without seeing that somebody put their faith in Jesus and the next conversation's about baptism. Okay? And you can help them cross that line of faith. 
And so when they're in that place where they said, yeah, I'm ready, they understand, they're ready, relax. God's been working before you even started. He'll keep working. You can forget about word formulas. They don't, it's not about saying all the right words. It's about receiving Jesus, right? Pray together. Pray out loud. You can lead out in the prayer. Hey, I'm so excited you want to accept Jesus. Let, let me pray pray a little bit, and then and then I'll, I'll let you join in. And you just, God, I thank you uh, for Bobby over here, and he, he realizes he needs you to save him. And God, I'm so excited about that. And Lord, I thank you for your love and your grace. And then you say, Bobby, hey, you've done a great job talking to me through this. How about you just express your faith that you know to God. Ask him to forgive you and save you. And while they're praying, you can, you can you know, lead them, make sure to keep them on the right path. The prayer shouldn't be, I've been so bad, I'm going to do better. No, it's I'm a sinner, I need a Savior. Help them make sure that they understand grace. Let them express their faith in God. And then you can close the prayer and get him beyond the line. The first thing is celebrate, right? That's what the angels in heaven are doing. You can affirm their commitment. Look, when you made this commitment to Christ, he says he puts his spirit in you that your sins are washed away. Paint a realistic picture. Your life is not going to get all suddenly super easy now. It probably will get harder because Satan doesn't like it, okay? Paint a realistic picture. Make sure they understand the different steps for spiritual growth. Now, this isn't all just like fire hydrant, okay? It's relationship. And don't just be like, good, you became a Christian. Bye. Evangelism is discipleship. Discipleship is evangelism. They go hand in hand. What does this mean for us today? We've got one more sermon in this sermon series. We're going to kind of have a commissioning type service. We're going to talk about our local mission, live the missionary life here, send missionaries out. We're going to review how we give to support missionaries. But here's the thing. Live the missionary life. It's not about these words, these things. Yes, you have toolboxes. It's about praying, displaying, being available and sharing. I encourage you, explore some of the resources that we have online, but, but he, here's what it is. I believe that if you're willing to, as we exit this sermon series next week, keep this concept of living the missionary life as a front burner issue, God's going to grow you. He's going to equip you. He'll bring people into your life that need him, and he'll use you. So what is the so what? Keep it a front burner issue. Let's go before the Lord in prayer. Jesus, I thank you that you love the world so much that you came here and died in our place to save us. You've given us the best news ever. Equip us to share that news with others. Give us boldness and clarity, God. Help us invest the time we need so that we can have an answer for the hope that we have, Lord God. God, help us to keep this a front burner issue that we may be your missionaries here. And God, I pray for the missionaries that we support in the states and around the world, God, that you will equip them to be the missionary you've called them to be in their sphere of influence. Lord, make us more like you. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. We're going to close out service in just a minute, but here's what, if you have never accepted Jesus as your Savior and you want to know what that means, talk with me today. It's the best decision you'll ever make. We're going to be dismissed now for a time of fellowship. We'll have Sunday school in here. Uh, 11.15 in Sunday school and a library at 11.15 as well. So God bless you. Thanks for coming and you are dismissed.